0: welcome to Vision of Zion my name is Craig Perry and the date today is September the 14th 2022. thanks for joining the podcast I am going to talk today about something that really has touched me deeply I a few years ago I was interested in learning more about evolution I bought a bunch of books on the topic and what I found was very interesting One of the books that I picked up was a book called Evolution Under the Microscope. I believe it is a British author. His name is David W. Swift. I'm holding my copy in my hands as I talk to you today. Now, there's a lot of this book, because I'm not a chemist, that I do not understand. But there was a discussion in this book initially concerning logic and reasoning, which had a profound impact on me. And I'm gonna be talking about logic and reasoning. Sometimes the Lord reasons with us, sometimes he doesn't. We know from the scriptures that God's ways are higher than our ways. And sometimes we don't always get an explanation for the way he thinks, but sometimes he will explain himself at a level we can understand. At any rate, the book is fascinating And I'm not even going to talk about what his conclusions are about evolution except to say that he casts a very big question mark about Darwinism and Neo-Darwinism and the failure of the models to take into account chemistry and biology and rate of mutation among species to explain all available forms of life that exist on the earth today but that's not really the point that I that I am using this book to make the first several pages talk about human history human thinking which is what I want to share as you can probably tell from prior podcasts I try not to over prepare for the podcast I try to speak in a way that is maybe Uh, plain understand but not always hyper-technical or maybe as much detail as some would like to have but at the same time I'm trying to you know raise broad broad principles and broad ideas for the uninitiated and those who are sometimes approaching these topics for maybe the first time but what he basically does is the following he talks about two types of reasoning deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning. Deductive reasoning is what we see working very well in the science of mathematics. He talks about the history of, for example, the Pythagoreans and how they were able to deduce conclusions using logical arguments and how well this works with mathematics, for example. Let me just give you a quote here on page four. However, their success in logic, mathematics, and geometry, which are non-empirical disciplines in that they do not rely on observation, led them to think that a similar approach could be equally successful with and should be applied to the natural sciences. So, first of all, inductive reasoning is where you gather the evidence and then you draw conclusions. It's the empirical, method it's the gold standard really for scientific discovery is to gather information gather evidence and then start to draw or try and draw conclusions and that's what we call inductive reasoning but mathematics uses deductive reasoning and it works very well because you can deduce answers if you have the number four and you take away two then you can deduce that two are remaining and that works Here's another quote. It says, one of the attractions of the deductive method is that it appears to be a route to certain knowledge because provided the axioms are true and all the logical steps of the proof are valid, one can, one can be certain the conclusion is definitely true. So the Pythagoreans and other Greek natural philosophers after them attempted a similar approach to the study of nature. That is, they attempted to decide from reason alone, a priori, what must be the fundamental truths about nature corresponding to the axioms of mathematics. And as we can see, this didn't work out well at all. Um the trying to explain nature using deductive methods proved to be a big failure. And what he does is he goes through and he shows how the view that humans took of the relationship between The planet earth and the sun took centuries to unravel because of the deductive methods that were attempted and then the inductive evidence kept displacing the deductive methods of logic let me see if i can give you some examples of of this so i think he starts with aristotle there are many layers to this issue but let's just simplify so the earliest versions of the relationship between the sun and the earth there was this basic belief early on that the yeah our solar system was a geocentric or an earth-centered system and eventually over many many uh, centuries we finally adopted a heliocentric or sun-centered pattern for our solar system. And the way that this uh, change of thinking occurred was based on gathering of evidence or inductive reasoning. Um, And the church came into play with some of the earlier models so an example of flawed deductive reasoning would be something like this Um, man is the most important of god's creations and man is on the earth therefore the earth is at the center of everything and everything revolves around man everything revolves around the earth now that would be an example of a deductive reasoning based on false uh false premises uh, that uh, you know, because man is the you know greatest of God's creations, he must be at the center. This kind of flawed logic. And they began to adopt this uh, from an Earth-centric or geocentric uh, solar system to a to a heliocentric. Occurred again by observation, first recognizing that the Earth was not flat, it was a globe. Then there were other Upgrades to our relationship to the Sun. Uh, Copernicus came along. Copernicus was around in the 1500s after his death. Some of these principles were published, namely that the Earth rotated on an axis, as well as other planets which orbited the Sun. Now remember, this is in the 1500s that we're finally getting to this point. Along came Galileo in the 15 and 1600s and substantiated Copernicus's views but uh, his views of a heliocentric system came into opposition with things that were embraced by the church the catholic church and uh, he wrote a paper in 1632 called dialogues concerning the two chief world systems um, during the Inquisition, he had to recant and was punished by house imprisonment. Eventually, when Newton came along and others, we see these ideas being more broadly accepted and and, uh, and the proofs being brought forward. And what's interesting, as I remember reading this too, was, was that, uh, again, deductive reasoning said, well... If, if the earth does, and the planets do go around the sun, if it is in fact heliocentric, then the path of travel must be in a circle because that is the perfect shape. And so again, deductive reasoning came into play based on uh, spiritual or religious assumptions. And this did not account for where the planets wound up at the end of the year during their revolutionary cycles. And so they would say that the planets were nudged into place by maybe the hand of God. But eventually they then modified the model and said, okay, based on observation, the planets are actually traveling in an ellipses." ellipsis. And so we have this long history from Plato to Aristotle, Aristotle to Copernicus, Copernicus to Galileo, and then others, Newton, Sir Isaac Newton. We finally have uh, added, uh, an adoption of a true and correct model of a heliocentric solar system and the elliptical travel of planets. But the story about how it took us so many years to push through the layers of false deductive reasoning and to embrace inductive reasoning is really a fascinating story. And It's caused me to look at how man reasons with things and how we use our reasoning powers and can make mistakes. And again, the purpose of this podcast is not to really discuss his uh, extremely important findings that um, using the same type of reasoning, inductive reasoning, that the evolutionary principles of Darwinism and Neo-Darwinism which were embraced whole cloth before we got into the microbiology and the other issues in chemistry associated in other sciences, do we find that uh, there are some underpinnings and assumptions made about evolution, which are not substantiated by other branches of, uh, of science. And so we're going through the same process now is what he's arguing of trying to understand evolution in light of what we now know about our DNA and about the rate of the natural rate of mutation among uh, DNA and, and all these issues. It's really a fascinating, um, I guess, expose to some of the weaknesses and also shows, in my opinion, why well, I say weaknesses, meaning weaknesses in some of the evolutionary underpinnings and also the failure on the part of scientists to correlate their findings with other branches of science in other words they get into their own compartments and they become compartmentalized and they're making the same mistakes over perhaps a shorter period with regard to evolution and evolutionary history and the proof of evolution that is being made in the past over centuries about going from a geocentric to a heliocentric um, model and what he points out is that whatever the answer is he's not really pushing for that there's a divine creator or any of that he's not necessarily saying that but he's just saying that the model that has been adopted is flawed in the same way that there were many versions of a heliocentric model that needed to be refined and improved before they finally hit upon the truth so how does this play into this general discussion that i've been making about uh, religious points of religious uh, issues um things in about god and about how god works and operates how how does this uh, stuff apply well in in many ways, when we read the scriptures and we try and draw conclusions, uh, I find that we do the same type of thing where we make assumptions. And then we try and deduce the answer based on those assumptions. And if your assumptions are wrong, then deduction is not a great way to go in coming up with truth. And I see this happening all of the time with regard to understanding the nature of God um, the un- the assumptions that we make lead to can lead to very uh, uh, bad and may, I wouldn't say dangerous but misperceptions and misunderstandings about how God operates so I'm going to in the future and I will a little bit now talk about why it's important that we use good reasoning and in some cases do more inductive, uh, more of an inductive approach to learning about God rather than trying to deduce um, certain conclusions. A lot of what I have been doing in these podcasts, in fact, has been trying to reveal to you or show you how I've come up with some of my own conclusions. And they're based on experience. For example, in the last podcast, I talked about... Um, casting out Satan and how there's a scriptural foundation for it. But I explained my own personal experiences with it. Uh, I mentioned that normally casting out an adverse spirit is not a dramatic experience. It's a pretty natural thing. Uh, There's not voices and and, uh, pigs and uh, people foaming at the mouth that are observed in extreme examples but based on my experience um, getting rid of satan in our lives and casting him out uh, is a very uh, simple quiet um, not a railing accusational uh, tone involved and that's based on my experience so many of the things i've been talking about i'm trying to show how i've learned eternal principles through everyday experiences and trying to share with you what I have what I have observed so really I'm trying I'm basically inductively teaching you things that uh, as I have seen them and I certainly can appreciate other people's perspectives and their experiences for example my Catholic friend has had much more extreme examples of uh, let's say demonic influences and how they operate uh, compared to my, my own myself. And I think there's reasons for that that can be explained. But my job is to bear witness to what I know and what I've experienced. And that's why I draw heavily upon personal experiences rather than merely scriptures. I, I use the scriptures as a foundation and then I try and explain you know, what my inductive um, experience is i want to give you a really important example of this that i think illustrates what i'm talking about and some of the dangers associated with incorrect reasoning or too much deduction Um, there was an interview given by a couple of general authorities years ago who were talking about same-sex attraction and Let me just say, first of all, I'm not any, by any means, any expert on this topic whatsoever, I am in the inductive reasoning mode where I'm trying to gather evidence and information and understand. But there was this interview where they basically said, or one of the general authorities said that looking back to the book of Abraham chapter three, that it says that those who came to this earth are those who kept their first estate. And that that meant that because those born on the earth, quote, kept their first estate, close quote, that nobody was born with a same sex attraction, that in fact, same sex attraction only therefore would have occurred based on our environmental conditions here rather than a pre-mortal or pre-earth like disposition. And I don't know the answer, but what I do know is that keep first estate, to go from that phrase to saying that means that we all came without any predisposition, that that, that is not necessarily follow that because of keeping our first estate, that means that um you know we didn't bring any predisposition of our personalities or our personal traits. In fact, I find inductively that that to be, and by observation, to be quite the opposite. Now, I would like to dig into that phrase just to show you why I think this is a misstatement of what that means. Keep first to state is a phrase that is found in one other place besides Abraham 3 which is in the Pearl of Great Price and it's to be found in the book of Jude chapter well there's only one chapter in Jude it's just before the book of Revelation in the New Testament I'm gonna to flip to it now and I, I'm gonna read what it says and I'm gonna read you what I've learned about this verse which is the only insight we have about the meaning of keep first estate so this is a discussion about Michael Disputing over the body of Moses. Let me get to it here. Right here, verse 6. It says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So we have angels who did not keep their first estate. Now I've gone into, I've used the Blue Letter Bible. I've looked at different translations, looked at the original greek which is what the the only known version of the new testament is it's in greek the earliest earliest versions that we have and all that means is they chose not to stay okay so the only thing you can really draw inductively from the words keep not first to state is that they chose not to stay. So in other words, when Satan left, this is also in the book of Revelation chapter 12, when Satan fell, Lucifer fell, the devil, the dragon, whatever term you wanna use to describe him, when he fell from uh, heaven, and that's also if you go to Isaiah chapter 14, I think it's verse 12, um, Lucifer's fallen and a third of the hosts fell with him, Um, They left, they chose to leave, they did not stay in heaven. Those who stayed, we don't, we can't draw any uh, inferences from the type of personalities other than they chose to stay with God and follow the plan that God had, which was agency and then repentance through an atonement by the savior. Okay, that's all the conclusion we can draw from those who stayed. Those who chose to leave did not keep their first estate. And those who stayed kept their first estate. It's just that simple. And any other inflection point we try and apply to the verses, I think is a mistake. But the problem is, is human nature is such that we want to close the loop. We don't want to have any loose ends. We want to have all everything nice and tidy and everything interwoven, and we don't like to have loose ends. And so we extrapolate, we draw conclusions. The people who kept their first estate, does that mean everybody got an A plus? That was kind of my version, as if you kept your first estate, it meant you really excelled in your pre-mortal classes of training. And that because you kept your first estate, it meant that you got an A plus or a golden star on your forehead. And the truth is we don't know what it means. Um, Elder L. Tom Perry and other general authorities that I've read said we know very little about the pre-mortal state, about our pre-mortal condition. When we lived as spirits with our Heavenly Father and decided we want to become part of the plan of salvation and progression. We don't really know that much, but we like to draw these deductive, uh, you know, things. And the truth is there's no basis to make any pronouncement about what the words first estate means other than to say that we decided to stay with God. And therefore, people who come down to this earth, whatever pre-mortal predispositions we have, we don't have any information about this. We don't have any revelation that takes it any further than we kept our first estate. And maybe that's good. Maybe that's all we need to know in this life. With the veil drawn, we are here to be tested and tried. The Lord reveals the commandments through his teachings, through his prophets. And they are recorded in scripture, many of those teachings. And as God desires to reveal more about his plan of salvation, we will continue to receive more. We've seen expansions and contractions in the knowledge that God has revealed since the days of Adam. We have a lot of information that has been lost that we no longer have. What we have to do is pray for more light knowledge and not draw improper conclusions or overly extend or extrapolate what the verses of scripture mean. And we need to seek light knowledge and seek additional understanding and that's why i believe all that god has revealed i believe that he still reveals things and will yet reveal many great and important things that short little podcast i did uh before today that little sh- uh, podcast uh what was it 17 where i said um you know there's more truth coming the greatest things Are yet to come it's because we're still building on a foundation of knowledge some knowledge that has been lost that we're going to recover some new truths we've never been revealed we've been told in the scriptures that there are things that have been kept hidden from the foundation of this world that are yet to come forth we live in a glorious time when we have all this knowledge about the past all the experiences of people who have been written down and we can learn from their examples Are we going to let history repeat itself or are we going to learn? And if we learn, we can build. And if we can build, then we'll be given greater light and knowledge until the future day, which is exciting. I'm going to close with a set of verses from Doctrine and Covenants. It kind of incorporates both the idea of reasoning as well as some beautiful language about what we can expect in the future. This is D&C section 50. It begins with verse 10. And now, come, saith the Lord, by the Spirit unto the elders of this church, and let us reason together that ye may understand. Let us reason even as a man reasoneth one with another face to face. Now, when a man reasoneth, he is understood of man, because he reasoneth as a man. Even so will I, the Lord, reason with you that you may understand. Wherefore, I, the Lord, ask you this question, unto what were ye ordained? here's the answer, to preach my gospel by the spirit, even the comforter which was sent forth to teach the truth. Okay, that's our, as an elder of the church, when we're called to preach, this is what we're supposed to do. Only preach by the spirit. Okay, verse 15, and then you then received ye spirits, which ye could not understand. Remember, these are the early days of the church. People still, still trying to figure out what's the spirit and what's not. It says, and receive them to be of God. And in this, are you justified? So they received spirits they couldn't understand. They thought they were from God. Are they justified in thinking that? Verse 16, Behold, ye shall answer this question yourselves. Nevertheless, I will be merciful unto you. He that is weak among you hereafter shall be made strong. Verily I say unto you, He that is ordained of me and sent forth to preach the word of truth by the comforter in the spirit of truth, does he, doth he preach it by the spirit of truth or some other way? And if it be by some other way, it is not of God. And again, he that receiveth the word of truth, doth he receiveth it by the Spirit of truth, or some other way. If it be some other way, it is not of God. Therefore, why is it that ye cannot understand and know that he that receiveth the word by the Spirit of truth receiveth it as it is preached by the Spirit of truth? Wherefore, he that preacheth and he that receiveth understand one another and both are edified I love that word and rejoice together yes the word of God when given by the spirit and received by the spirit is both edifying and it causes us to rejoice and that which doth not edify is not of God and is darkness it's a real simple test here that which is of God is light and he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light And that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. And again, I say unto you, and I say it, that you may know the truth, that you may chase darkness from among you. He that is ordained of God and sent forth, the same is appointed to be the greatest. Notwithstanding, he is the least and the servant of all. Wherefore, he is possessor of all things, for all things are subject unto him, both in heaven and on earth the life and the light, the spirit and the power sent forth by the will of the father through his son, Jesus Christ. And it goes on from there. It's These are beautiful words uh, which describe um, God is teaching us how to learn by the spirit. We are learning and we're going to make trial and error. Remember that that which brings light and edifies and makes us rejoice is from the Lord and that which brings darkness is not and there's this process that as we receive light we will grow in light and grow brighter until the perfect day chase darkness from our lives and misapplying certain types of logic and reason can block you and uh, it's a journey it's a journey here and it's an exciting journey to participate in I hope that these words will edify you as you try and make correct uh, assumptions and conclusions from the scriptures. And I'll talk more about this. Thanks for listening.